once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, and it's really great to be able to say this. I'm joined today by Dave Gilbert, ranking event winner. I like the sound of that. Can yeah. carry, carry that on, mate. I was going to say, we'll talk about it in more detail <clears> later, <throat> but I imagine you just can't get tired of hearing that after all these years waiting. Yeah, it's uh, lovely to hear. Uh, I've had a lot of messages and uh, well wishes and all that. Uh, it's been fantastic. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice time at the minute. Yeah, as I say, we will come back to that in more detail. But let's go back to the start. And you were a pro at quite an early age. I think you were 19 when you made your debut. It probably wasn't the greatest time to be turning pro, was it? Because there weren't that many events and the structure was really set up in a way that made it so hard to break through. Yeah, it was really tough back then. Um, not very many tournaments, not many opportunities. So uh, I perhaps didn't treat the game I cert- certainly like I don't do now. You know, I treat it like a job. It, it, I was a very in and out back then and uh, very immature as well. So, um, yeah, the only thing I ever regret in snooker is that Barry Owen wasn't around when I was a young age. Um, apart from that, you know, it's been a struggle for most of it, but uh, I've, at least I've managed to find something and have some good times. I think with a lot of players who perhaps don't put in the work, it's not that they're not willing to, but that maybe they don't perhaps at a young age quite understand just how hard you have to work to make it in the pro game. Was there maybe a bit of that with you? Yeah, obviously I loved the game as a, as a junior. I played a lot of comps, you know, I was around the era, same era as Selby Murphy, you know, a lot of great players now that have gone on to everything. Uh, Maguire. Maguire was always my favourite as a youngster. I thought he'd win everything. Um, it's just it's just really tough, you know. Um, I had great support around me, but like I say, I, I was just easily led and a bit off the rails a bit at times. So I didn't do the right things at all. I was very unfortunate, though. I remember the first year I tried to qualify to be a professional. It was a challenge tour. And uh, I finished 21 that year, and it was top 20. And that was the year, actually, like your Mark Selby's, your Murphy's, your Maguire's all made it through. So I kind of missed the boat by one spot there. Um, and then the year after, I think it was a top eight that got through, and I think I finished ninth. So I had quite a... Not unfortunate, I didn't do enough to get through. I don't see it like that, but, you know, it, it don't take a lot between success and failure. So after that... Obviously, my head was perhaps in the bin, bin a little bit and felt like I'd wasted a few years playing snooker when I could have just gone out and got a job kind of thing. Who knows? But um, listen, it's been, it's been a lot of up and downs, but we've uh, finally, <laughs> finally got there in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's clear this up from the start, Dave. You're referred to often as the farmer or maybe even the angry <clears> farmer. <throat> so what exactly is the truth of it? Was it a farming background you were from? Yeah, my my dad was obviously a farmer all his life. Um, We don't own a farm. You know, I get asked all the time, what did my dad do on his farm? We don't actually own a farm. I wish we did. You know, I'm the third generation. I'd have sold it up and uh, be living my life now in Arbifa or something like the rest of them do. But um, no, what happened was my dad uh, got made redundant from the farm he'd worked at for like 30, 40 years, I think. And then uh, he set up his own little contracting business for himself, which was, uh, you know, farming stuff and the Woodland Trust stuff as well on the side. So he heard one day that I was completely skint and not in a good place and said, look, you can come and work for me tomorrow. I can't pay you. Can't pay you much. Uh, the first day's work I did was actually on a strimmer all day uh, doing council work kind of thing. It was a red hot day. I hated every bit of it. He gave me 40 quid at the end of the day and uh, I felt like I was loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, when you got no money, 40 quid's a lot of money. Uh, and he said, if you want to come back tomorrow, come back. So it kind of started from there and then obviously he got me, he like tried to tr- uh, learn me up on uh, all the different jobs that he did, chainsaw work, spraying work, and then obviously I ended up on the tractor. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but uh, a guy called Rob Gray at Whittington Farm, um, 
you know, he trusted my dad and he said, look, you know, I can train him up quick enough. Um, he managed to get me a job and I did the first spud season harvesting that year. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, scared to death driving a tractor down the road. You know, people that ain't drove a tractor before, you know, you go on a road and then you'll realise not to cut them up. It's not, it's not that great. Um, but I absolutely loved it. You know, I got, there was a great bunch of lads. I just loved it. I had money in my pocket and, uh, from for then for the next three four five years really that was probably that's what I classed as my job not mm. snooker definitely people see the storybook image of the farmhouse and animals roaming around and they think oh that must be great fun working on a farm and it sounds like you enjoyed it but <clears throat> anyone who knows anything about it it's really hard work and the days are never short yeah it's it's proper graft you know when I've said I've done 14 16 hour days you know that's not I'm not telling a fib there uh, I used to do 100-hour weeks when we was at a peak seasons during the uh, spud planting and harvesting, you know. Uh, if you knew the rain was coming, you was there until it rained. So I think the longest day shift I ever did was about 29 hours the one day. But I absolutely loved it. I was on a tenner an hour, £290, happy days, you know. Uh, loved it. There were good times. And, and, uh, and the bits in between where I did get some practicing, I actually enjoyed it far more just having an hour here, there and anywhere I could rather than just sitting in the club for 12 hours a day. Yeah, but it must have been difficult to try to maintain a standard when you're also holding down a job off the table. Yeah, I was never going to be as good as I could be, obviously working that, that amount of hours, but uh, it was a decision I made that I was more more happy at the time just making a living and uh, paying my rent and having a few quid for a weekend. That, that, that was all I was bothered about back then and uh, I don't regret it. And maybe it took a bit of pressure off you when you did play matches. Everyone else really is just playing for their only source of income. The fact that you weren't entirely relying on snooker to have a bit of money in your pocket maybe helped you a little bit? Uh, snooker was definitely uh, bonus money to me. Uh, the tournament, you know, obviously the UK Championships and the World Championships was always the big money events where if you could win one, two, three, four games, you know, uh, you could you could have a nice little bonus. So I always tried to put work in for them events, but the rest of them, it was pretty much, you know, our ear there and, and there. Um, but obviously I'd, I'd felt completely fell out of love with the game as well back then. So my attitude wasn't very good. So I could get quite down easily and, you know, almost chuck the towel in far too quick. So uh, I, I had to grow up and the working definitely helped me grow up. So when are we talking about, Dave, when you say that you fell out of love with the game? What sort of era, what kind of age were you when that happened? Oh, definitely going back to like the Challenge Tour times when missing out on the tour by one spot, uh, things like that. You know, I think uh, I think it probably took me two or three years to eventually gain my card. And when I did a gain my card, I think I'd won the Challenge Tour event. I think I beat Ryan Day in the final. Um, and it... And it squeak me into the top eight or whatever it was to gain a main tour spot but I weren't I weren't all that bothered or excited by that bit myself I was just more excited that I just won 5,000 quid you know it was it was like winning half a million quid back then so that that bit didn't really uh, kick in and yeah I, I wasted a lot of years through not dedicating myself at all but I don't I don't regret any of it you know what I mean uh, it was just a, a decision that I was happier doing other things at the time. And you were one of these players who would appear somewhere, look like a really good player. Say, for example, the time you got to the Crucible and gave Stephen Hendry a good run for his money. And then you wouldn't really do very much for a year or two after that. I guess it's not hard to figure out why, listening to you, that you were maybe a bit in and out with your preparation. And 
the preparation mm. obviously shows through in the results. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I remember qualifying for the Crucible the first time and I, and I was ecstatic, you know. That was like me winning the tournament, definitely. You know, it's every player's dream to to get to walk out at the Crucible and, you know, you see people go up to the back door. Just going to the back door is exciting, let alone getting to go in the place and getting to play the Holy Grail as snooker. Uh, but I think we qualified two or three months early that, that year and uh, obviously I was playing really well at the time but then you know I perhaps had a month off and I remember the gaffer ringing me whilst I was driving the track to actually saying oh, bloody hell, I've just heard you on talk sport because <laughs> they used to do the draw live yeah. on the radio and he says you got Stephen Hendry I can't believe it he says uh, Wednesday he says, I said, I said oh, it's only in a couple of weeks kind of thing he says well you know if you need some time off you take as much time as you need and then come back when you when you're ready so I literally just had the week off before and and, and practice for it and I and I really enjoyed the buzz of the crucible but I didn't I, you know I gave Stephen a bit of a game but I didn't play very well I was 5-1 up but I certainly weren't playing very well I think Stephen played quite poorly and was probably there for the beating I just never had the belief that I was perhaps good enough to to win there so I treated it more like a great day out rather than a chance you know. And you had another really big day out in China in 2015 when you found yourself in the final against John Higgins of a really big ranking event. Most of us thought that was a bit out of the blue. How was that for you? Did you think going there you were playing well and you were maybe heading in the direction of having a really good tournament? Yeah, it was really strange back then because I think the week or two early before that we played in Mulheim and I'd literally, I got to the semi-final, I'd lost 4-3 and I remember me and my mate being in the airport Absolutely devastated because I because I really played well that week and I just played a, a bit of a bad frame and uh, Tian Pengfei beat me. I mean he's a good player, fair play to him. Uh, but we felt like it was a big chance for us to nick a tournament. Maybe you know uh, I'd literally just had a new queue up Matt Selt uh, two days before that event because I was struggling with my game, so I thought I'd try something new. Played really well in Mulheim. Went straight to China. Um, obviously, my confidence was a bit up. Obviously, I didn't think I could get to the final. Of course, I didn't. But uh, with every game that went past, I just remember being, I think I beat Ryan Day in the last 16 to finally get to uh, my first quarterfinal appearance. And I was ecstatic. Me and my missus just got married. We just literally bought a new house that we couldn't afford. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is how lucky is this? And then I beat Marco Fu 6-5 on the black to get to the semi-final. And I had Tep Chairu new. Uh, in the semi, and he was in a similar position with me. We weren't really supposed to be in that position, um, so it was a massive game for both of us. But it was the only time where I've ever really thought about uh, the money during a match. You know, it was such a big jump, thirty to a guaranteed sixty-five thousand in the final. And when you was at the levels we was at at the time, like like I keep saying, it was like a, a million quid, especially with just buying a house. So I think the match with Tep Chai was definitely my final, and I was so happy to uh, just reach the final. I, I, if I'm honest with myself, back then I weren't good enough to beat John and, and I, I probably didn't have the belief I could beat him to 10 frames. So I was probably a little bit too happy just to have made a final and, and, and nick a, you know, a lot of money. Um, obviously I tried and, and it, was, it was half a game. John just uh, played so much better than me in this second session. For a long time, it remained your only final. But then three years later, you're in another final in China, playing another all-time great of the game, Mark Williams, 9-5 up, you lose 10-9. Anyone who hadn't seen the match might look at that and say, oh, it got too much for him, and he collapsed. It wasn't actually like that at all. You really didn't do a huge amount wrong. It weren't It weren't like that at all, I can tell you. You know, uh, the most heartbreaking loss I've ever had was that final in, in Yushan 10-9. I really, I really felt like I did everything to win that, that match and that, that event, and it, and it meant the world to me, you know. Um, 
it was the hardest journey I've ever faced to, to get home. You know, it took me like two days to get home. It's such a difficult place to get to and from. I had nothing but me, me thoughts, you know, and all people went on about was trying to be positive. Oh, you know, you've done really well. You've you won 75,000 quid, you know, the money. I could have chucked the money in the bin there and then it didn't mean anything to me. I, w I was really heartbroken, yeah. Um, I don't feel like I did much wrong in that final at all. I, I remember being 9-5 up, I split the back pack and I was absolutely cursed because I was playing great stuff. I didn't land on a ball on 30-odd and then literally from there it went a bit sideways, you know, but Mark just showed how clever he is, you know, he's such a clever, clever player. He plays little shots that are so simple, but so effective. And uh, I, just, I only regret run one shot in that final. And it was literally, it, it well, it was a twitch, I suppose, because I absolutely butchered it. But it was just, I just got stuck in, because I just started working with Steve Feeney at the time. I just got stuck in between like my old, my old habit and my new habit. And I didn't commit to either. And I just hit it really bad. You know, I think if I'd have potted that at one ten five, but uh yeah, so it was a tough loss, that one. Mm -hmm. And then obviously we went on to face each other in the World Championships later in the, on that year. Well, we'll come to that. Okay, yeah. But you'd also got to another final in between against Kyra and oh, Berlin. Right. And, I mean, that one. Yeah, you played really well <laughs> on that one. And, and then after that, we'll, we'll just actually briefly yeah. move ahead of the uh, World Semi-Final as well. You got to a final against Mark Selby. Now, that was just yeah. a complete landslide. So yeah, not yeah. much you could have done about it. So yeah. I guess the theme of all four of those finals... People can be very harsh. They say, oh, yeah, Dave yeah, yeah. Gilbert gets to these finals, but he doesn't win them. Yeah. It's really hard. You're up against great players. And you can't really look back on any of those four and say, oh, I threw that one away. Uh, I think I find it amazing this, the amount of stick me and Jack Lazowski have had over the last few years. You know, uh, I think where we where well, where we got to in the rankings at one point, obviously Jack's still there, uh, was incredible for, for saying we never won a, won a big event. You know, you see players like Luca Bressel, few years ago, literally just won seven matches on the trot, nicked a big tournament, and he's in the top 10 for two years from it. Um, what Jack's done is incredible. He takes far too much hammer. He will win one, of course. Well, he's a brilliant player. And looking back on my finals, there's only one I regret, and that's the Mark Williams one. I weren't good enough to beat John Higgins. The Kyron game was a 50-50, which was probably flipped on a bit of luck Kyron had when I was like seven, six up or something, and he made a, a miracle clearance, and it just changed from there. It weren't really through me blowing it. You know, Kyron won it. Uh, the Mark Selby one, I mean, it was just an exhibition of snooker that he's just far better than me, isn't it? And, he, and, and I don't think Ronnie O'Sullivan would have won two or three frames off him that day. It's as simple as that. Dave Gilbert has played his part in a terrific final. He's had a great tournament once again. He's come so close to nailing that elusive first-ranking title. I'm sure his time will come. When the going got really tough, Kyron Wilson got going. He is the German Masters champion for 2019. Was it starting to annoy you a bit, Dave, and perhaps even making it harder for you to get over that barrier, the fact that people kept going on about it? Uh, no, it, ne it never annoyed me. Um... Years ago, things people would say in the club or the street to you when you're out having a pint, you know, getting a bit of a stick on, you're thinking, who's this guy, you know? Yeah, it used to. It used to back then. Um, not at all now. You, you know, you, if you're doing well and okay and in, in kind of like in the snooker spotlight as, as it is, 
you get people saying good stuff to you and you get people saying horrible stuff to you, you just got to take it on the chin. It doesn't affect me at all in any way. You alluded to it there. The other match then, at the 2019 World <coughs> Championship, it was the one that really kick-started all that when you beat Mark Williams. Great yeah. to beat the defending champion at the Crucible. And it wasn't actually a big surprise to people who'd followed your progress throughout the season. And just as you progressed from there through the rounds, it was the first time you'd had a deep run at the crucible just what a huge adventure that is when you experience it for the first time yeah going back to mark williams game you know uh he gave me the the worst defeat in my life but i always classed as managing to beat mark at the crucible the best win of my life because i had so much uh so many questions about that final before the match during the match you know mark tweeted he was having a tough time at one point and then I'd be walking down to the crucible and everyone's going on about it, like, oh, he's not very well. And, you know, it was like um, con- pretty constant, the Yushan memory and, and, and bit managing to beat Mark and beat him well. And I played well in that match. Uh, meant a lot to me. The emotions then that came out at the end of that incredible semi-final that we don't need to go into because I think everyone who saw it remembers it so clearly. Of course, you were disappointed not to reach the final. I perceived it, though, at the time that just as much as that, the emotions that came out were because you were sad the big adventure was over. That's exactly what it was. I'd, I'd, uh, I think I won £100,000 for that semi. And once again, mate, I'd have gave you every penny back to have got the chance to have walked out the next day for that final. It was the best experience of my life, that, uh, them two weeks. Um, of course, I wish I won that extra frame. Of course I do. And have a chance to play for the world final. But anybody that has a run there that isn't expected to will know exactly what I mean, you know. And... Uh, once again, you know, people always oh, lost another deciding frame. But if you look what actually happened to him, you're getting a kick when you're absolutely plumbing the balls and felt fantastic. You know, it's like uh, sometimes it's just not meant to be. I don't know. I try not to think that way. But I've seen other players play a lot worse and uh, come out on top, you know. Um, it was a brilliant adventure, brilliant for me and my friends. You know, they, they were there with, with me for the 14, 15 days and we had a great time. And you responded really well to the disappointment because you made a great start to the following season. We talked about the final you got to then against Mark. You did really well at the Masters on your debut, getting to the semis. And then I think it's fair to say things went off the boil for the next year or so. Did something change? Did something happen? Or was it just one of those things that form started to desert you? Um, I think the big change was the most definitely covid you know i'm i don't mind admitting it i completely lost the plot for six months there you know um just couldn't get my head around anything i'd lost a hell of a lot of money sponsorships tournaments i should have been in blah 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 at my age you know it, it adds up you see people at home singing and dancing they're getting paid 100 percent to sit on their asses uh, getting paid full pay and i've felt like i'd lost a minimum 100 grand you know took me a long time to get into the positions I was in and, and a lot of hard work. And uh, I just let things snowball on top of me, really. And, yeah, my, I still practiced, but I weren't practicing properly. And and obviously, I got on a bit of a bad run there. And, yeah, I just fell out of love with it for a bit. But well, eventually, I had to pull myself together. And I, I went and spoke to someone and done done things differently, like I always try to when things aren't going well. And uh, I feel like I've come through it and never... I'm totally over it, you know, um, just trying to enjoy my snooker again. Yeah, and it sounds like it wasn't just an issue with snooker. It sounds like it affected your overall happiness. And you yeah, completely. And you come across as a pretty happy person, so that must have been strange. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've only ever really been miserable when I'm 
been playing snooker sometimes. Uh, I'm pretty, I'm all right off the table, you know. I've never really had any problems. I'm a very sociable guy. I love seeing my mates like everybody else. Um, I just got, I don't know, I just had too much time, sat there in my garage thinking to myself, I guess, and just sent myself a little bit mad. So in view of all that, Dave, it perhaps isn't surprising that your game started to come back as we were emerging from the worst of lockdown and COVID and all the rest of it. Here you are now sitting here as a ranking event winner. And in a way, maybe it was the ideal event for you to win the Championship League because you can kind of find yourself in the later stages without even realising that you're doing that well. It's that kind of format. And before you know it, you've almost won the thing and you've only got a couple of short matches to go. Listen, I've always loved the Championship League. I've never really done uh, much in it um, from the old days of Crondon Park. Um, well, you made a 147. I did make The 147th 147. Yeah, 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 that's true. It was a weird one because I played absolutely terribly in my first my first group. Um, I was very rusty, not had enough practice or practice with other players. You know, I'm somebody that needs to put the hours in nowadays. Um, and I just managed to hold on in there and get through the group and I just got a bit stronger with every match. Um, yeah, so to end up in the final against Mark and then... Uh, Literally, it was like, come on, you're straight on. Once Ryan had won a frame, I didn't, I didn't really have any time to think about it. It was just go out there and play. So, you know, it was only a best of five. Just it's an open game, isn't it? You know, very short format. Um, and luckily, it, come, it went the right way for me this time. Uh, I, I won't have anybody say to me, it's the smallest event we play or anything stupid like that. It's, it's a win. It, it doesn't matter what tournament you're playing. They're all still hard to win. Um, it, it means a lot to me, yeah. And the best thing about winning at Dave is you now get to play what I call the quickfire round, where I just give you a few subjects. It's just for fun. Right. And you tell me whatever comes into your mind. It Got doesn't right. have to be a single word. It can be a, a okay. sentence or two, whatever. Family life. Uh, yeah, great. Got a beautiful little girl. Great wife. Supports me. Couldn't ask for better. Rory McLeod. <laughs> That's a tricky one. What do you want me to say to that? Well, I don't know. I know there was a little bit of unpleasantness there. Uh, yeah, it, I know what you're alluding to. Uh, I've seen it back and it was embarrassing from both of us. I was in a bad place around that point. If I realised what was actually going on now, I'd have just let him have the free ball and got on the game because I, I can't be doing with time wasting and, and people telling refs what happens. So I have no problems personally with Rory McLeod. I'll just put that out there. Players you would go on a night out with? Uh, love Ben Wollaston, love Peter Lyons, Matt Seltz, the funniest geezer I've ever met. Being known as David Brown, Gilbert. The Brown thing, David Brown Gilbert isn't my name. My name is David Gilbert. The Brown thing is because when I won the Challenge Tour years ago, I think they paid my prize money to another Dave Gilbert that played years the ago. guy from London, yeah, That's, was on the circuit. Yeah. And at the time, there was a guy called Steve Brown who helped me out a hell of a lot, used to drive me there and everywhere. Uh, they asked my mum for another name and she just said Brown and it's just stuck. One thing you change about life on the circuit or the game in general? Ooh. Do you know what? I'd love to see... I'd love to see him live, live, do away with these waistcoats and that, just pimp it up a little bit. I seen the pool comp the other day at uh, Gareth Potts' club and they're wearing shirts like darts players. I mean, I'm not saying all that, but... You know, it gets the crowd involved when it, with the darts and, and, and the, the pool players looks a lot cooler than we do. Even in that championship league with our black shirts on, it's just a bit fresher. Wear the waistcoats for the worlds of the UK and the big events. But uh, let's try and get the youngsters to, to, to appeal, anything to appeal to the youngsters a bit more. What a match it was. Stand innovation for both players. Abby will be disappointed, but she's got to be proud of David. 
What a match that was. John Higgins, absolutely delighted. Sympathy for Dave Gilbert. He did everything he could, but that man, when he comes to the crucible, he's something else. And in the third consecutive year, he's in the final. The Wizard of Wishaw wins by 17 frames to 16. People say now, you went close a number of times, you've now won a title, so the floodgates are going to open and you're going to win loads of them. And maybe that'll happen, and sure you hope it is what happens. But again, it's not that easy, is it? It's very difficult and people need to remember that when they're getting on people's like uh, Jack Lazowski's case, you know. Jack was very similar to me. Every time he's got to a final, he's come up against one of the greatest players ever. It isn't easy to beat these players to five, let alone to ten. It becomes more difficult. I don't know what the future holds. All I know is I can I can prepare the best I can for any event and, and if I turn up and feel good in myself, I can compete. To win a comp, you've got to do that five, six, seven games on the trot. You know, it's not easy at all. And how great is it to win in the very first event of your 40s? Maybe this is going to be the real golden age of Dave Gilbert. You only pointed that that out before we began. I didn't even think of that. You know, maybe life begins at 40 after all. Uh, I feel fitter and fresher than I ever have in my life. You know, I take uh, a lot of effort trying to keep fit and my weight down. You know, I don't want to look skinny and all like that. I, I purely do it because I feel like I play better snooker like that so going back to like last year you know I totally lost my way with even the gym and things and uh, you know I'm fully back on it. I guess you probably aged a lot one particular night in April 2017 when you played Fergal in the final qualifying round of the World Championship and that two-hour frame. I mean, people have had marriages that have been over shorter than that. Now, I watched all of it and I thought it was fantastic Sick, to man. watch. Sick, yeah, man. I mean, but a horrible way to lose. How do you look back on it now four years oh, later? Oh, I just laugh, laugh, you know. People think I had the raving ump that day. Uh, I never at all. I, I lost and I shook his hand properly and I wished him well and I meant it, you know. Listen, this game can drive anybody mad and drive people to do strange things. The only thing I, I say about that match is people just go on about the last frame. You know, it weren't like that for the last. It was like that the whole duration of the match. I, I complained to the referee um, very early on in the game that I felt like Fergal was taking far too long and, and going to the toilet every 10 minutes for 20 minutes. And a couple of times I went to the toilet because I was just bored and followed him in. And he, and he weren't even, you know, going to the toilet. He was just talking to himself up a wall. I get now and again, you, everybody, I've done it myself, I've lost my head, need to go to the toilet and punch the wall or something, you know. But uh, there was lots of little things that went on in that game. It, it, it did drag on, but it cre- I suppose it created a great atmosphere. And I love Fergal to bits, and I'd never say anything bad about the guy or on that match. I guess if the two of you were sitting in a room now and someone brought it up, you'd probably just laugh or roll your eyes at each yep. other at the memory of it all. It'd be a lot easier for Fergal to laugh about it because he won. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, yeah, it's not a great record to have, especially as the loser of it. And I guess one final thought, Dave, looking back now on the <clears> fact <throat> that you have won a ranking event. It's an inspiration, isn't it? Because you were a long way down the rankings for a long time. You've patiently and gradually worked your way up and you lifted up that trophy at the end of the Championship League. So loads of players have got to look at that and say, maybe one day I can be the next Dave Gilbert. Yeah, there's lots of players in my shoes that perhaps think they could do better. Um it's. I totally understand it. It's very difficult, but what I do know is I changed a hell of a lot of things, not just snooker-wise, my whole life, you know. Uh, like I was just saying, I, I made a decision to be skinny because I feel like it was my snooker, you know. I, I ch- I ch- I'll change anything at any time. I, I'm always trying something new. Um, 
good luck to everybody. I know I know how hard it is, and if, if I see people like you know, like Jordan Brown last year, I'm delighted for him. You know, I know how hard this game is. I, I like to see the the pots get shared out, and that. Uh, I, know, I know the top players are always going to win the majority, but. Uh, it's not just me that puts a lot of work in. You want you want a bit of reward for it. So it's great to see other people doing well too. And apart from inspiring other players, I know it was a very popular win because you're really well liked among the other players and among the general public and snooker fans. And talking to you over the last half hour, Dave, it's not hard to see why. So thanks very much for joining us on Thank the World you. Snooker Thank Tour you. podcast. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, I'll be talking to Jordan Brown, who Dave just mentioned there, about that astonishing Welsh Open success. I was like a kid on Christmas morning, uh, waking up, uh, because I thought this is like a nice opposite dream come true. A lot of players would just look at it and say, right, well, no matter what happens here, I'm, I'm happy, which I still would have been. But I just woke up and I just believed I could win. I was probably the only person, as well as probably my family and, and my coach, that probably thought I could win, you know, but I just had that good feeling about that day. I just thought I've, I've come this far there's no reason why I can't you know have that one big push and go one step further so that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast until then thanks so much for listening and goodbye